Uh, John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Now we're continuing on with our I Am series. Right. And this is the, uh, the next, you know, I'm the gate, I'm the bread of life. Uh, all the different ones, I'm the good shepherd that we've hit. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, I am the resurrection and the life. Now this is a longer reading today. And so we'll read this from the beginning and then we'll go back and we'll make some points that I think will be uh, helpful in understanding. This is really a very comforting uh, and encouraging uh, comment from Jesus about who He is and uh, ought to build a lot of confidence in us. But let's read it together, beginning in John chapter 11 and verse 1. You guys there? Yeah. All right, all my teenagers on the front, you there? All right, good. Rachel, behave yourself. <laughs> I always have to tell Rachel, behave herself. You know, but but uh, she, uh, she has to keep Erica in line, you know, and that's, that's a full-time job. So uh, there you go. Okay, verse 1, you guys there? Okay, here we go. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, but he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus said, uh, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On arrival there, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two hours, or two miles rather, uh, from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them at the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus had saw Him, she fell at His feet and said, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. When Mary saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. Uh, that you heard me. I, I know, uh, I knew that you are always hear me, for I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Then the dead man came out. His hands were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is truly one of the most amazing stories of all the stories about Jesus. He raises Lazarus from the dead who had been dead for several days. And there's a lot of the intricacy and information that you have in this story. But like I said earlier, this should be a story basically that gives us a lot of comfort and a lot of uh, uh, confidence about our life. Jesus says, even the most uh, awful, horrible thing that can happen in a person's life is that they die. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I control the circumstances not only of life and death, but also after death. I'm still involved with that world and those people. And of course, in this particular case, He raises Him uh, from the dead. And I want us to talk, first of all, about something we really don't talk a lot about. Look at some passages of Scripture. And that's the whole concept of death and what the Bible talks about uh, with death. All of us in this room, or at least most of us, if if you haven't, uh, you certainly will in time. You have someone die in your family or someone that you know, friend, uh, that's uh, close to you, and uh, you know you deal with this very, very uncomfortable, uh, difficult time in your life of uh, uh, what, what's going on, what's happening. How should I feel about this? How should I react uh, with this? Oftentimes, this happens in a person's life uh, when they're a younger person, you know, someone older, a grandparent, or an aunt, or uncle, or someone that that uh, is quite a lot older than them dies, and they're they're just a little freaked out by the whole thing. Uh, I remember the first time in uh, my life that that happened. My grandfather uh, died. And that was, uh, uh, you know, I I didn't know what to make of that. And maybe you can remember that time in your life where you went through a a similar type of experience. But you grow a little bit older in life and you begin to know more. Or maybe you go through it more. uh, But still it can be a very daunting thought of, well, what, what exactly is happening here and how should I feel about it? Look over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is one of those uh, uh, topics that you're glad that the Scriptures give you some really good information uh, to read and to, uh, to look at what the Scriptures teach about how we should feel. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
I'm at work on both sides of death. And if you're a believer in Jesus, that should be a, a tremendous comfort to you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, this is Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica. And uh, apparently they had some questions about this as well. And he says uh, in verse 13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or those who die. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, and who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So first of all, what he talks about is he says, let's just let's fast forward way into time to the, to the last day, to the last moment. And he talks about, okay, what's going to happen with those who have died? What's going to happen even with those who are alive uh, when this great event takes place? And of course, we don't know whether that's going to be today, tomorrow, a week from now, a decade from now. Uh, a thousand years from now, we simply don't know. It is interesting that almost every generation of people who lives sort of has the opinion that uh, our, our time, our uh, 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 era that we live in, is a time when things are awful. And I know a lot of times, uh, you know, as we look at our world, we're like, my goodness, there's all kinds of weird and bad things happening all around. And, uh, you know, we have uh, too much uh, too much rain in the Midwest and not enough rain in California. And we've got terrorist groups killing people all over the place. And we've got this happening and that happening. And the government this and the government that. And we think, wow, it, this surely must be the last day. You know, this must be the time when everything, the Lord's going to come down and, and the world's going to stop. And every generation thinks that. And another thing that's interesting is every generation always believes that the next generation is going to ruin it all. <laughs> and uh, I, I must admit, sometimes uh, I, I think back to my dad uh, when he was uh, alive when I was a kid uh, in, in the 1960s and early 70s there. And, and he said, man, you know, the, 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 the United States is in a mess because uh, of all the things that were going on. And he said, and man, uh, we're really going to be a mess when the hippies are running everything. Uh, and, and of course, uh, now the hippies are running everything. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and we're still a mess. But we're saying, man, uh, when the millennials come up, man, they're going to ruin it all. And, uh, you know, every, every generation sort of has that feeling of the next generation is going to mess it up. So that's what he talks about first. And he says, it's interesting, verse 18, therefore encourage each other with these words. He says, we're dealing with death, we're talking about uh, that, but he says, encourage each other uh, with this information. Uh, then he goes on, he says, now brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for, uh, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now what does that mean, a thief in the night? That means it's going to come at a time when it's unexpected. And every once in a while, you know, someone says, Hey, I know when the earth is going to end. It's going to end on... And they'll say a certain date. It's going to be Thursday, you know, whatever, whatever, and, and all that. And of course, I'm always pretty encouraged because 
when, when they say, I know it's going to end then, I'm like, well, I'm not sure when it's going to end, but I know when it won't. Uh, you know, because uh, uh, he, uh, Paul says here, this is going to come like a thief in the night. When people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. All the women that have had children probably understand that. All of us who have not really uh, sort of understand theoretically, but really don't know what it's talking about. Uh, and, and, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in the darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So this passage is all about, okay, when, when, pers- when people die, if they die, you know, what, what happens in their life. And he ends up in both sort of sections of this discussion saying, hey, be encouraged, it's okay. And that goes back to what Jesus said. I'm the resurrection and the life. If Jesus is the Lord of your life in this life, He's the Lord of your life in the next life as well. So when those of us that, that we experience the loss of a loved one, they've gone on. They're going where we will go. And it isn't as if their physical death is the death of them, their spirit, their soul, their eternal part goes on. And there's many other passages we can look at, uh, but the, the scriptures describe this as you know there's a sorrow, there's a, a, a you know Mary and Martha and even Jesus are are grieving, they, they're missing this loved one, they know they're going to miss them, and that's a part of dealing with death. But Jesus says, "Hey, I'm on the other side as well," and that should be encouraging for us as we look at this time uh, in our life. Look over to John 14. Good morning. Jesus uh, makes comment about uh, this whole concept. In uh, John 14, verse 1, He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. In My Father's house. And so He uses this imagery uh, of a, a, a giant house or a mansion. Uh, I believe that the King James Version says, But in My Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I, I will come back and take you to be with Me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Of course, he's making reference there to going to the cross. But he talks about heaven, or he talks about the, the, uh, the next life as being in the, the residence of God, in the presence of God, in this giant mansion, so to speak. And we have a place there. You know, having a place in a home is a great thing, right? Yes. You have your room. You have your, your place. And that brings us a certain comfort. Uh, you know, in your room you have your stuff where you want it, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Someone comes in, starts moving around things in your room, how do you feel? Uh, right. Hey, get out of here! My room! I want that there, leave it there! I'm messing around with my stuff. Uh, and Jesus describes that, that we are, are going to have this kind of a setting. Look back in the Old Testament of Psalm 73. Now, Psalm 73 is a passage where the psalmist has sort of been going through this whole 
thought about the people uh, of the world have it easier than, than uh, uh, the people of faith. And uh, he, he goes through this whole thing and he finally sort of fixes himself in verse 16 of uh, Psalm 73. But in verse 21 he says, When my heart was grieved, or when I was thinking about this uh, in, in, in uh, the you know, former Scripture there in Psalm 73, and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. You ever, you know, you ever uh, have a, a time in your life where you're, you're, you do something stupid or you, uh, you do something that you look back on, you're like, wow, that was really not a good moment. And you say, God, what was I thinking? You know, you idiot. Uh, you know, I have that conversation. If people said to me the things that I say to myself sometimes, uh, you know, I'd probably be quite irritated. Uh, but, you know, we can call ourselves an idiot all the time. You ever do that? Dummy. You ever dummy, idiot? Nincompoop, you know, whatever word you come up with uh, for, for those. And that's what the psalmist here is saying. I was senseless and ignorant like a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you and you hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me in to glory. There's this idea of being taken into glory by God and accepted into glory. By God. And once again, this should be something that's an encouragement for us. Do we miss our loved one? Are we grieving? Does it take time sometimes to get over that grief? Yeah, sometimes it takes a lot longer than we would imagine. But eventually, there there comes an acceptance. We're like, okay, well, this is the normal passage of life. And, uh, you know, I need to go on with my life. Now, I think the sobering thing about life and death for all of us, and we have to be honest here, is that we all are going to experience this unless we are alive when Jesus comes back. Now, if we're alive when Jesus comes back, then we don't necessarily experience death. But short of that, we all will. In other words, this is a door that you and I are going to go through in our life. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know the circumstances as we live our life, but there should be a sobering reality that my life is going to come to an end. And the Scriptures teach that we die, we face judgment for our life, we face an accountability for how we lived our life, and then, you know, life goes into the eternal, and we, you know, hopefully, prayerfully, by the grace of God, are with the Lord forever. But that should also be a reality that sobers us from time to time. We say, you know, hey, I need to get my act together. You may be here this morning and you may, be, you may not be living the way you need to live or you know you should be living. Well, you know what? That should sober you. You're going to face an accountability. I'm going to face an accountability for how I've lived my life. And that should sort of get our attention a little bit here. Now, the good thing is, if you're a child of God, Jesus is your Savior in this life and Jesus is your Savior in eternity as well. And as I envision and study this concept, the idea of Satan is that he's the, he's the accuser. And so it's almost like a judgment bar kind of a situation where God the Father is the judge and you've got the, the one attorney who is just accusing you of, and in reality, the things that you did. The things that you said. The way you lived your life. Satan doesn't need to make it up for most of us. He, he's got the goods on us. But Jesus is our attorney. It ultimately says that the, the trump card is, He's mine. I died for Him. 
He gave His life to me. wasn't always perfect, but He tried. My grace is sufficient for Him. Now that's a pretty good deal. You know, you, you, you don't want to face judgment where Satan is accusing you and you look in there and you got you got no one standing up for you. Yet no one taking your side, and Jesus is the uh, is sort of the person who takes our side. So this whole thing of death and life is a part of our story. Now look back to John eleven. I took a little time on that because it's something that we we normally don't study from the scriptures, but it's something that we should. Amen. Okay. When we find out about his problem that Lazarus is sick. In verse 4, it says, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, I want you to think about your life. Your life can be very much like Lazarus' life. And you say, well, oh my, well, Lazarus' life here isn't going good. I mean, he died or he's dying. He's going to die soon. Jesus says, this is happening in his life so that God can be glorified through it. If you look back to John 9, with the man born blind, Jesus says something very similar. In John 9, verse 1, it says, so As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So he, he, Jesus sees this guy. He's been blind ever since he, he was born. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? See, their idea was, because he was, he was suffering, or, or he was not complete in this way, that somebody sinned, and this is a punishment. Did his parents sin? Or was it this guy's sin that brought about this condition uh, in his life? Look what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Very similar to comment to what he makes about Lazarus dying. This is happening so that God can be glorified because of what's happening in this person's life. In our life, everything that happens is not good or bad. It's a combination of good and bad, right? All of our life. Your life, my life. It's not all bad. It's not all good. It's a combination of good and bad. We're a combination of of, uh, limitations and unbelievable gifts and talents from time to time. Uh, Those of us who aren't artistically gifted. You know, it's amazing when when I look at someone who's artistically gifted, uh, they just sit down with a blank piece of paper and and a pencil and they start drawing. And, And before long... This beautiful thing is on on the paper. You ever seen something like that? Someone do something like that? And if you're not gifted that way, and I'm not, I look at that and I say, that's incredible. Because if you put a piece of paper in front of me with a pencil, and I start drawing, no one's going to say, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) They're going to say literally, you know, what was wrong with him? You know, we've got a stick horse here, you know, and we've got a car in one dimension, you know, with tires, you know, and, 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 and all that kind of thing. And you're like, wow, you know, Marty, uh, Marty doesn't have any gift there. And, and, and that, that, would be, that would be very true. Uh, we see people that are gifted athletically, and we watch what they do sometimes, and we're like, wow, that 
is incredible. I mean, you ever watch these basketball players in college in the NBA that can just, I mean, they jump and they are just, bam! I mean, they are slamming it all over the place. And you're like, that's incredible. And then you go out, I go out on, on, a, on a basketball uh, court, you know, and, and I, I'm like, you know, the old white man can't jump thing. Uh, <laughs> You know, gravity seems to have a bigger draw on me than, than other people, you know. Instead of soaring, you know, I'm a, like, you know, three inches off the ground or, or, or that kind of a thing. And you see people that are gifted and, and, and in some ways you know you're not. Now, we're all gifted in some areas too. We don't want to brag about that. Uh, but you know what? Some of us are good. And, and in some ways, it, it, you know, you ain't bragging if it's fact. You know, that, that, that kind of a thing. You can do things. And, and, and that's a great thing. We're all a combination of things that we can do and things that we can't do. But Jesus says here, both about the man born blind and about Lazarus dying here, that this happened, that God could be glorified because of what's going on in that person's life. In most of our lives, when we see our limitations, we get an attitude about it. Well, why am I not artistically gifted? Well, why am I not athletically gifted? Why am I not academically gifted? Well, why, why, why am I not prettier? Why am I not taller? Why am I not? Whatever. Fill in the blank. And we get an attitude about it. I believe what Jesus is saying, both in the case of the man born blind and here with Lazarus, is that even though everything that happens in our life is not pretty, it's not positive, God can and should be glorified through our life. God took some really unbelievable people and did incredible things with them. Think of Moses. Moses is born, his parents put him in a a basket because they don't want him to be executed by the Egyptians. And and lo and behold, what happens? Pharaoh's daughter sees him and has pity on him, brings him into her household and raises him in Pharaoh's household, greatest education of that time, and he becomes an incredible leader. We say, wow, Moses is awesome. I'm not Moses. Well, what about David? David is the polar opposite of Moses. Samuel comes to David's father and says, hey, one of your sons is going to be the king, the new king. And he says, oh, that's great. Here's my first son, tall, handsome, apparently an awesome guy. Samuel says, that's not the one. And, and they, they prayed all the sons in front of Samuel. No, 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 he's not the one, he's not the one here. And, and he finally says, do you have any more sons? Really, that's all you got? Isn't there one more? And, and, you know, David's father says, oh yeah, we got the run of the litter, but he's out. He, he's out watching the sheep. They didn't even think enough about him to bring him in. I mean, he brings him in and Samuel says, he's the one. Awesome. The Bible has stories of great, awesome, incredibly talented people being used by God, and then others that apparently seem to have no reason uh, and no special gift or talent. But God wants to use my life, your life, to do great things. And, and I think you, you, you have this sort of theme of God's glory should come about through your life. Many times as we live our life from day to day, it's hard to see great things happening. And we wonder, does my life 
even count? If I weren't here, would it even would it even be any different? And we go through these feelings of insecurity and doubt about your life. I want you to realize about your life, you have no idea the impact of your life, even in the time that you're living it, even if you don't see it. Living a faithful Christian life is a public life that people take note of. They see it. Even if they don't comment on it, even if you don't know that you're under observation, you are. Maybe it's your grandchild that's going to be the benefactor of your Christian life. You say, well, I'm not even married. That even makes the point more. Because you're looking at your life and you're saying, what's wrong with me? I'm not married. I can't even get a husband. I can't even get a wife. What's wrong with me? Would I even, would it make any difference if I weren't here? Yeah, the grandchild that's going to come about by your, 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 your marriage is going to look at the life that you lived and take such inspiration from you that they will be a tremendous person that influences hundreds and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people. Your life is meant to give glory to God. Whether I understand that or you understand it in real time is irrelevant. It's something that every single person is to bring about the glory of God. Now this story is fascinating in that it, it, it has two different people here that are sort of good day, bad day. You ever have a good day and a bad day? We all do, right? Look at what it says about Mary when Jesus comes. It says on His arrival, verse 17, blah, blah, blah. And it says in verse 19, And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of her brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet Him. So Martha, Martha takes off. What does Mary do? Mary stays at home. If you didn't know anything else about Martha and Mary, what would you say? Martha is awesome. Mary is a bit of a dud. Okay, look back. To, to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Hold on to the story about these ten, same two women. Verse 38, As Jesus and His disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Him and asked, Lord, don't You care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will be not taken from her. Wow! In John 11, Martha's having a great day. Mary, not so much. In Luke 10, Mary's the star of the show. Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about all kinds of things. Mary is awesome. And so you've got good day, bad day. You ever have a good day? You ever have a bad day? Yeah. Okay, now let's look back. Look back to John 11 again. And look at the... we got another guy here. Uh, Thomas, called Didymus. Man, Thomas gets all fired up. They're going to go. In verse 16 it says, When Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let's also go with him that we may die with him. 
Man, you would think Thomas is the most awesome of all the apostles. This guy is cranking. He's ready to die with Jesus. Well, that's John 11. Let's, uh, let's look over to, uh, let's see here, I wrote it down, to uh, uh, John 20. This is after Jesus had died. He's already appeared to the apostles several times. And in verse 24 it says, Now Thomas called Didymus, same guy, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were uh, and, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Wow! In John 11, John, let's go die with him! Come on! In John 20, he's like, listen, I don't believe this whole thing about the resurrection. He ain't back here. I don't believe that. You guys, you're smoking something. I don't know what you're smoking. But you're smoking something here. Unless I can put my finger in the hole, I can put my hand in the side. I mean, he gets graphic about this whole thing. He says, I'm not going to believe. Good day, bad day. You know what? I think, I, think, uh, I think at the end of the day, Mary and Martha both glorified God with their life. I think Thomas glorified God with his life. Don't have a bad day and say, oh, I'm having a bad day. I'm having a bad week. A bad year. I don't know. A bad time. And start getting all down on yourself. My life doesn't count. I, uh, what, what's it me? Everybody has a bad day. Thomas had a bad day. Mary had a bad day. Martha had a bad day. You have a bad day. You know what? As a minister, you know, sometimes I think people read the minister wrong. They're like, you know, do you ever have a bad day? Sure I do. Some days it's a swing and a miss, guys. You, you, you go to bed at night and you're like, well, that pretty much sucked. <laughs> sometimes I preach a sermon. I walk down and I'm like, eh, swing and a miss. I preached the Bible. I was good about that. You know, and sometimes the ones I think is a swing and a miss. Someone comes up and says, "Bro, that was the best sermon I've ever heard." <laughs> Amen. The Bible, God's word, did the word then, because I was not a very good vessel today. You know, we we we've got to understand, guys. I want I want to convince you today. Your life counts. God wants to be glorified through your life. Last thing here I want to note that I think is is not uh, that not a teaching necessarily of this story, but it's in the story. Jesus loved Lazarus. He wept at his death. He loved Mary and Martha. But these are not business relationships. These weren't the apostles. You say, well, Jesus came, he had a mission, and he's going to get the apostles, he's going to get them all discipled, and they're going to all be awesome because he trained them, and they're going to spread his teaching all over the world. That's Jesus' business. That's Jesus' mission. I would even agree with that to some degree. But what about Mary and Martha and Lazarus? They weren't business. This isn't a business relationship. This is just friendship. This is just people that he knew and loved. 
than He cared about. I want to encourage you on your friendships. You know, we talk about friendships sometimes as if it's a given that, you know, we've all got a lot of friends in our life. Really? Well, we're a member of a church where we talk about loving each other, and so we have a lot of friendships. You know what? You can be a member of this church, you can see people all around you, and you can be friendly when you come to church. That doesn't mean that you really have any friends that are really deep friends, are really people that you care about, and they care about you. The Bible talks about choosing your friends wisely. In the Proverbs, we don't have time to study all that. But the bottom line is, guys, you're going to have friendship if you choose to have friendship. You know, once in a while someone will say, well, I just don't feel like the church is as friendly as it needs to be. But generally that means that you feel like the church isn't being friendly with you. You know, if, if, if you want to have friends, maybe you should be a friend. If you would like to do things with your friends, maybe you should suggest to do things with somebody. Well, no one ever calls me. Well, you know, you ought to get one of those new phones. They're really cool. You can not only get calls. In the, in the new ones, you can actually make a call too. What are they going to come up with next, right? It, 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 it's awesome to have friends. To have people you care about. But you know what? If you're going to do that, guys, you're going to have to go out of your way. Jesus went really sort of out of His way here. Jesus put His life in danger to go where they live. That's why when He first brought it up, well, let's go back. They're like, hey, don't you remember? They were going to kill you there. And Jesus said, no, my friend's in trouble. I, I, I've got to go help him out. If you want to have close friendships, guys, you're going to have to work at it. Being a Christian is not synonymous with having great friendships. Just because you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins doesn't mean that all of a sudden you have this bevy of wonderful, great, personal, close friends that that you enjoy and spend a lot of time with and they enjoy spending a lot of time with you. You're going to have to work at it. I would suggest it's going to cost you some effort. I would suggest it's going to cost you some money. I would suggest it's going to cost you a lot to have friends. If you're really going to have friends that mean anything to you in your life. If you're going to have friendships, guys, you're going to have to learn to overlook the problems, idiosyncrasies, weirdnesses, shortcomings of the people that you're friends with. I don't know of any of my close friends that I can't go through and say, yeah, uh, at, 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 at this level, you know, it's a little disappointing. At this level, a little disappointing. At this point, yeah, it could be a bit better and all that. But you know what? I'm humbled by the fact that if they sit down and talk about me, they'd probably come up with a pretty good list of, you know, all things are wrong with me. Marty's a pain in the neck because of this and because of this and because of this. And you know what? They'd be right. Because nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But Jesus had these friendships that that are illustrated here in such a beautiful way. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. It's the verse always the kids always want to memorize. You know when they have to memorize uh, a, a, a scripture. You know for uh, for 
uh, kids' kingdom or, or Sunday school, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, Jesus wept. I got it. Uh, you know, John 11. But, you know, that, that little passage is so, it's so meaningful. Why did Jesus weep? Jesus knew what He was going to do. He wept because He saw people that He cared for weeping. He saw people that He knew and that He, he loved, that, that He cared about, and they were hurting because they were hurting. He was hurting with them. And He felt for them in what they were going through in their life. Jesus says in John 13, 34, and 35, a, a passage we know well in the church, that all men will know what? That we're disciples because of our love for one another. We've got to love each other when we're easy to love, and we've got to love each other when we're not. And I'm telling you guys, if there's somebody around here that you feel like, you know, they're a real pain in the neck, probably you're right. I don't think you thought that up out of your brain. They probably are a pain in the neck. But I challenge you to be humble. I challenge you to look at yourself honestly in the mirror. You're not that much of a catch either. And you're not all that easy to get along with all the time either. We need to love each other in spite of our sins, in spite of our problems, and care for each other. I hope our study today of John 11 has been an encouragement for you. I've tried to sort of bend this whole thing around the idea that this passage is a passage of comfort. It should bring us great comfort that Jesus is Lord on this side of life and He's Lord on that side of life. Uh, that, that, that's pretty cool. You know, when, when we do face death, we can face death with the reality of Jesus has been my Lord and Jesus will be my Lord as, as, as we go to the other side. Uh, there should be a tremendous uh, uh, encouragement and comfort and, and uh, confidence built by the idea that my life is a life that is to glorify God. Whether I totally understand that or not, whether I totally get it or not, I know that ultimately that's true. That God will be glorified through my life. And then guys, just to have the great friendships. Don't just have business relationships. You know, you can have business relationships here at church. Well, it's business relationships. Yeah, I see them at church. They need to be relationships that are a bit deeper than that. So I hope John 11 has been a good encouragement for us. Let's have a great day. Let's have a great week. And to God be the glory. Amen. You are dismissed.